In actual fact, for those that were there in Hessel last week, uh, I'm still on the same theme. Um, in fact, it's the same theme that I've returned to ever since lockdown, and even during lockdown, it was buzzing around in me because I am really excited these days about where God is taking the church, where we are going. This new era is going to be absolutely fantastic for the church, yeah? And um, in actual fact, uh, things seem to be difficult, don't they, and confused at the moment. In fact, um, there's a lot of darkness about, a lot of darkness about. But you know, when darkness covers the land and thick darkness covers the people, that's when God says, rise, shine, for your light has come. The church, the church is going to start shining, folks. It's going to be full of power and light and life and just and the opposite. The, the opposite of the world is the church. Yeah? And so I'm excited about where God's taking us in these last days. Uh, and so... I want to talk to you this morning about uh, something which is called in prophecy, David's Tabernacle. And David's Tabernacle is uh, something that happened 3,000 years ago in Zion. Uh, David pitched a tent, just a simple commoner garden tent, in the heart of his newly captured capital city of Zion, and um, he brought the golden box of the Ark of the Covenant with its supernatural, brilliant glow of the Shekinah light shining out from above between the two golden angels. He brought that up the road, through the gates, and into the city of Zion, and he put it in a tent. And that became the heart of worship for a whole nation for 40 years. The Shining One living in this simple tent. But you see, when the Shining One was there, that turned that simple tent into a house of glory. And prophets are telling us that we're coming back into a time when God is going to set up and spread houses of glory across our land, places of the presence. What we're talking about when we're talking about David's tabernacle, we're talking about the presence of God amongst his people. That's the bottom line. The future is all about the presence. The future is all about the presence. I'll get to my notes in a minute. <laughs> but I want to talk to you this morning. I want to give you two pictures, yeah, about... David's tabernacle, about the church with the presence of God powerfully shining in the gatherings of God's people. And I want to see it in prophecy from two aspects. We're going to look at one prophetical picture of the culmination when all this uh, comes to fruition and what it looks like at the end of the last days. Yeah? I want us to look at where we're going. But I also want to look at another picture, which is not the culmination, 
of the Tabernacle of David, Zion worship, but the inauguration, how it starts. Because that tells us where we're going now. We're at the start of it now, yeah? And so two pictures from scripture. And uh, this, this theme has been buzzing around in me since, well, in lockdown, and then as we've begun to be able to gather and preach again, uh, that's been my theme every time because it's really buzzing and bubbling in me at the moment. So, I want to talk to you about what David's tabernacle in the last days will look like. Remember, in David's time, it was just a tent, common garden tent, poles, material, guy rope, stakes, set up in the heart of his newly captured city of Jerusalem or Zion, to give it its spiritual name, in the heart of Zion, there was a tent. In the tent was the presence of Almighty God shining out as a light. Yeah, the shining one was there. If you read uh, in Psalms, the Passion Translation, Brian Simmons' Passion Translation, and you're reading your Psalms, if at the top of the Psalm, and there's 54 of them in there. If at the top of the psalm it says, to the shining one, or for the shining one, this is a song that was written during that 40-year period to worship God as he shone above the Ark of the Covenant in that tent. It was a shining one song, okay? Because that was the shining one era. That was the David Tabernacle era. We're going back in, in, into a shining one either in the last days because God says in Amos that in the last days he will restore, rebuild, or make to happen again what happened 3,000 years ago in David's tabernacle. Presence of God among his worshiping people. Powerfully, uh, tangibly present. We're going into a time of the presence, folks. It's a time of the presence. The Lord will be there amongst his people. I keep getting off my notes. Let's get back in there. Okay. So, what will David's tabernacle that was amongst Jews, but in the last days he will do the same thing amongst Gentiles, us. Okay? This is the presence of God in Zion. Zion is the gathering of God's people. Yeah? And so the church is, is Zion. Yeah, it's where God comes and presences himself amongst his gathered people. That's Zion. That's Zion worship. When you talk about David's tabernacle, my name for it is Zion worship, or presence worship, if you like. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Anyway, where was I? Right. What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? So at the end of the Bible, we have a picture, a prophetical picture of what the culmination of this thing that God is going to raise up in the last days will look like. What's the finished product? What's it going to look like? I'm going to read it from Revelation and chapter 21. This is Zion. This is God's people, God's worshiping people with the Spirit of God amongst them. Let me read it. I've got it here somewhere. There we are. Revelation chapter 21 from verse 2. And John says, I saw the holy city. That's Zion. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
descending out of the heavenly realm from the presence of God. This is all about the presence, you see. For the present, from the presence of God, like a pleasing bride that had been prepared for her husband. Say prepared. prepared. It's a prepared bride. Work has gone on. Things have happened. Yeah? A prepared bride, prepared for her husband, adorned for her wedding. Say adorned. Adorned. Wow. Made to look beautiful. Some work has gone on here. Adorned for her wedding. Verse 3, And I heard a thunderous voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's tabernacle, say tabernacle. God's tabernacle is with men. Or you could use prepositions like in men or among men. Yeah, God's tabernacle is in, with, or among human beings. And from now on, he will tabernacle with it. Say tabernacle. Tabernacle. This is the rebuilding of David's tabernacle, only now it's not David's tabernacle. It's God's tabernacle. And it's not made of material and poles and ropes. It's made of people. God's tabernacle that he is building in the last days is going to be built of people. You might call them Zion worshippers. Become God's tabernacle. Become the bride. Yeah? And God will dwell with them as their God. He will tabernacle with them. Now God himself will have his home with them or in them. God with them, in inverted commas, will be their God. Wow. What an awesome picture. This is where we're going, folks. If you've got your Bible open or you've got it on your phone or you've got just, just you know, even if your Bible's closed, put your finger on the scripture, yeah? The scripture which tells us about the bride and say, that's me. That's me. It's incredible, but that's where I'm going. That's my destiny. That's what God is going to be doing with me and us in the last days. He's going to prepare us and adorn us to be the bride. The manifestation, there's a word, of the principle of David's tabernacle among the Jews happening among the Gentiles and he's calling it the bride. This is my tabernacle. This is where I want to live, God says. This is where I want to live among my worshipping people. How awesome and awesome is that? God's tabernacle is made of people. Let's read a bit more about it. Still at the end of the Bible in Revelation, but a couple of chapters earlier in Revelation chapter 19, we've got another bit of information about this God's tabernacle bride. Yeah? And this is what it says. This is John again, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6. Then I heard what seems to be the thunderous voice of a great multitude like the sound of a massive waterfall. 
and mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Yeah, let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come. Wow. That's the ultimate worship level. <laughs> the wedding celebration of the Lamb. Let's celebrate. Let's praise him. Let's rejoice. Let's enjoy it. Let's have dancing in the streets. You know, they tell me at the end of World War II, when they announced the peace, you know, at the end of the war, there was dancing in the streets. I didn't know much about it because I was only four at the time. But there was dancing in the streets, yeah? I want to tell you, this is a dancing in the streets level of rejoicing worship. That's Zion worship. Zion worship is not just quiet, it's actually quite loud. <laughs> it's quite boisterous. It's full of rejoicing. It's full of joy. It's full of life. That's Zion worship. That's where we're going. That's what the church, the church is going to be getting, being more and more full of, of power and of the presence of God, and there's going to be a reaction to that. It's going to show in the way we worship. Yeah? Rejoicing is very much part of Zion worship. Anyway, where am I? Okay, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice, exalt him, give him glory, because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Say, made herself ready. Made herself ready. Wow. She's had to do things herself. Yeah? We think of a bride as someone that's got lots of people around her sorting out her dress and her, her jewels and whatever. The bride has made herself ready. There's stuff that the bride has got to do to get there. And who's the bride? Yeah. Hands up, who's saved? Hands up, who's born again? Yeah. Hands up, who's part of the body of Christ? Hands up who's part of the bride. Yeah? Okay. The bride has made herself ready. So we have got to work towards that because we're part of the bride. There's work to do. Yeah? There's preparation to do. The bride has made herself ready. Then verse 8 of Revelation 19, fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear. Say, given to her. Yeah. She's made herself ready, made herself ready with clothes given to her. Got the idea? There's work to do. Robes are being given you, robes of righteousness, because it actually finishes off. The fine linen represents the righteous deeds. Say deeds. Deeds. That's lifestyle. Represents the righteous deeds 
of the saints, or as Brian Simmons calls them, the, his holy believers. Yeah? Because I've been reading from the Passion there. Yeah? There's work to do. Righteousness is the robe, the dress of the bride. She's robed in righteousness. But it's not her righteousness. Yeah? It's been given to her. It's his righteousness. Yeah? We've been robed with the righteousness of Christ. I, li I like singing the song, you know, um, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And that is so true. Righteousness is a gift. Yeah? So, if you're born again, and you're saved, and you're part of the bride, who's got a gift of righteousness? Hands up. You do have righteousness. Who's bothering to put the robe on? <laughs> yeah? The bride has made herself ready. She has been prepared. She's been adorned. What with? The righteousness of God. Only the thing is about righteousness, this righteousness is a mixture of gift and graft. Yeah? It's given you, but you have to put it on. You have to take steps to do it. It's deeds. It's things you have to do. Righteousness is not something that just sort of hangs on you and, you, and it doesn't alter the way you live. This is lifestyle, folks. And we have to change our lifestyle in order to be part of this tremendous future, beautiful Zion worship bride means we have to prepare ourselves. The bride has prepared herself, made herself ready. She has received the gift of righteousness, but then she's had to get through the graft of actually appropriating it, putting it on, doing it, using it. Yeah, we've all got robes of righteousness. How many have left them in the wardrobe this morning? Yeah, maybe some of you just put them on on Sunday mornings. But on Monday, you leave them in the wardrobe when you live as you used to. Yeah, these robes are for wearing. These robes are a gift, but they're for wearing. When God gives gifts, he intends that gift not to just to be a nice present, but actually to do something in us, to mature us, to strengthen us, to grow us. I mean, this, when God gave the gift of the promised land to the Israelites, what a wonderful gift, a land flowing with milk and honey, wonderful. But then they realize the second point is you're going to have to fight your way in. Why? Because fighting is good for you. You learn to fight. In fact, God used them as his arm of judgment against the terribly sinful nations that were in that land of Canaan. Yeah, terrible. I won't go into that, but they, they, some of the sinfulness was horrific in that land. But God says, I'm going to use you to clear them out of the land. You're my instrument of judgment, so you're going to have to fight them. You're going to have to... Get, get them out of the land, get rid of them, yeah? And you are going to populate this land. But 
He said, I'm going to leave certain pockets of them in the land so that future generations also learn to fight. You see, he wanted them to learn to fight. And so he left some enemies around so that the future generations grew up and learned to fight. When God gives you a gift, there's a purpose in there which actually helps you, grows you, matures you. And God has given you the gift of righteousness. But in the faith effort of putting it on, of doing it, of using it, of conforming your lifestyle to the Word of God, that's good for you. Yeah? yeah? If he gave you a gift and you didn't have to do anything about it, it wouldn't mean much. His gifts are to grow you. Yeah? To mature you, to change you. Do you know, there's a lot of change gone on for them to say in Revelation, the, bar, the bride has made herself ready. There's been some changes going on. And so, that's the first picture. I must move on. Okay. So, the bride of Christ is the final expression of the new tabernacle, not David's tabernacle, now it's God's tabernacle, it's the bride, it's God's gathered people with him powerfully in the midst of them. But how do we get there? I'm going to go to another package. Actually, the first thing you notice about the bride is a strange thing, it's, it's the fact that the bride is actually a woman. Feminine, yeah, obviously. But in actual fact, that is the end of a, a theme that goes through the Bible, where you find that every reference to Zion, to Jerusalem, to the people of God, to the nation of Israel, to the church, where God's people are gathered, the reference to them is invariably feminine. Talks about the church as her and she. Talks about Israel as her and she. Talks about... Zion is her and she. In fact, so often it's a, it's a feminine picture when you're talking about the people of God. Yeah? And often in prophecy, um, it's the daughter of Zion. Yeah? Let me, let me read it. Yes, I'll have to do it quickly. I'll do it quickly. Right. It could just be a language thing because you know that in a... European languages, if you've learned French and German and Spanish in school, you know that uh, different things are given a, a masculine or a feminine connotation, le, la, and so on. Uh, and it's not just people or animals, it's actually uh, inanimate objects have a gender assignment, don't they? Yeah? In language. And you could think, well, perhaps this is just the Aramaic and Hebrew language. But Brian Simmons, again, this is his translation of Isaiah, uh, says that there's a spiritual connotation when you call the people of God the daughter of Zion, the feminine, the daughter of Zion. And in actual fact, it's the beginning of Isaiah where Zion is first mentioned. It's verse, chapter 1, verse 8. And the daughter of Zion is left as helpless as a deserted shack in a vineyard or a flimsy shelter in a field of cucumbers. This is Zion really in trouble on one of the lowest points. Okay, that's where Isaiah starts. Uh, 
in every way like a city besieged. But the fact that God has called his people, even when they're in real trouble, the daughter of Zion, Brian Simmons brings that out in his notes. Listen to what he says. Even during devastation, God calls his people the daughter of Zion. God's people are his daughter, born out of Zion, the holy realm. Instead of being his dwelling place, they've become like a flimsy hut. But the work of God, as seen through the book of Isaiah, is to restore this hut to the place of the divine shelter or dwelling place. As he gets to the end of Isaiah with this, Isaiah 66. But even the besieged city, he says, will one day become the new Jerusalem where God and humanity mingle as one. So the daughter of Zion is just a, a fond term for God's people where he wants to dwell. Yeah? The daughter of Zion. And I want to just go for our second picture very quickly to um, a daughter of Zion prophecy. Yeah? And it's in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Cry out, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. He is able to save. He is humble and is riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know that Jesus actually fulfilled that prophecy to the letter in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or Zion, yeah? We know that five and six hundred years after Zechariah and Zephaniah had prophesied this would happen, Jesus did it, yeah? And he uh, rode on a colt, the foal of a donkey, up into Jerusalem. And there was a tremendous event that day. There were crowds and crowds of people celebrating and shouting and cutting down branches and, and putting their clothes on the road and carpeting the road into Zion with um, branches and articles of clothing as a carpet for the king to come into Zion. And the strange thing about that day is that Jesus was not only fulfilling five and six hundred year old prophecies from Zephaniah and Zechariah, Jesus was that day enacting a carbon copy of what had happened 1,000 years before in David's tabernacle day. Because this same procession up this same road through these same gates to the center of Zion had happened a thousand years before when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Zion. Priests were carrying it and they went up the road and that was a celebration dancing in the streets time. In fact, David himself took his outer clothes off and danced in his underwear in front of the Ark of the Covenant all the way into Zion, yeah? And his wife wasn't very happy about that, dancing with all the dancing girls and so on. But 
What it was, it was this, the atmosphere of excitement and rejoicing and dancing in the street celebration, which happened for the inauguration of David's tabernacle. That's the beginning of that 40-year period when it actually happened in Zion, in David's time. That inauguration was reenacted by Jesus a thousand years later in his triumphal entry up that same road, through those same gates, and into Zion. He reenacted the beginning, the inauguration of David's tabernacle in those days. And of course, there's, there's, I haven't got time. The branches they cut down, I'll just do it quickly, speak of praise and worship. They cut down fresh branches. Zion will be characterized by fresh green worship. Yeah? They laid their prayer shawls for the donkey to walk on. The prayer shawl of the devout Jew spoke of his prayer life. They laid their prayer lives to welcome the king into Zion. Yeah? And then they took their outer coats off. They laid those to form a carpet into Zion as well. The robes speak of lifestyle. We saw it in the bride, the deeds, yeah, the deeds of God's saints, lifestyle. And so prayer and worship, praise and worship, prayer and intercession, lifestyle and conduct, all these contribute to welcoming the king as he comes in. Yeah? That was quick. That would have taken another sermon. Finally, what did he do when he got into the temple? Yeah? Triumphal entry, carpeted road, little cold, gets into the temple, and he makes a whip. And he begins to overturn the tables of the money makers, the commercialized aspect, the business aspect that had invaded the house of God, the temple. So he cleared out. He, he did a spring clean of the outer courts of the temple. And what was important was not the whip and not the money going everywhere. What was important was what he was shouting and proclaiming as he cleared those courts. What was he shouting? My house will be a house of prayer for all people. My house will be a house of prayer for all people. Yeah? What was he doing? He was making a declaration that would actually come to fruition in the last days. When Zion becomes a house of prayer for all people. The bride. The God's tabernacle. Yeah? That's for Gentiles, folks. Yeah, David's first tabernacle was only for Jews. The one that's going to rise in these last days in houses of glory is for all people. It's for us. Yeah, it's for us. And that's what Jesus was proclaiming when he cleared the temple courts. And so the whole thing he did was an enactment of the inauguration of the latter day, David's tabernacle, God's tabernacle, God would come in on the back of our prayer lives 
and our worship lives and our lifestyles of God-given righteousness. Yeah? That's how the bride prepares herself. So the inauguration, I believe, is just beginning. We need to look to our prayer lives. We need to look to our praise and worship lives. We need to look to the, at the way we live with biblical integrity in this world. We've got to shine, folks, because this world is dark. And the scripture says, rise and shine, for your light has come.